Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of my creative brainchild, Failure Friday, where we talk to friends, clients, and sometimes complete strangers about how failure has shaped them as people, shaped them in their career, and how they've bounced back from it and become better. And today, we have a friend slash client. She was a friend before she was a client. Her name is Aisha Muhammad. She is a doctor, Aisha Muhammad, CRNA, APRN, and DMP. I just learned what those acronyms mean because she sent me over the the, the full verbiage of them. And C, you didn't tell me what CRNA stands for. That's Certified Registered Nurse Assistant. Is that right? Cer no, Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetist. Okay, not even close. Um, and then APRN was what? Advanced practice registered nurse. Basically a and nurse with an advanced degree. And then DMP is? Doctor of nursing practice. Okay, see all those fancy things? See those fancy things, people? She also, her and her, she is a twin and they both have found the fountain of youth and they have told none of us where it is. So you, she's actually 200 years old. And, <laughs> but Aisha, thank you so much for coming on, first of all. I, I really appreciate it. I hope to have you and your sister on at some point as well, because you guys are both incredibly inspiring, especially when it comes, I don't think I've ever met sisters that get along as well. I don't know if it's a twin thing, but they compliment each other so well that they're best friends. Um, but let's start off and tell me how you got into your field of career. What was the moment where you were like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And what made you keep going to get all those accolades? Um, initially becoming a nurse, um, really I became a nurse for the job stability. Um, I initially, uh, got my degree in biology, um, with hopes of getting into medical school. However, I didn't make the grades. In college, I was kind of focused on track. I ran track. Um, I was a scholarship athlete in track and field and cross country. So doing that and trying to get high enough grades to get into medical school, it just wasn't, it wasn't happening for me. So initially I just got my degree in biology and then I went on to work as a uh, associate scientist in microbiology here at um, here in Jacksonville, uh, Vistacon. It's the uh, company, it's a branch of Johnson & Johnson that makes the contact lenses. Anyway, they do a lot of experiments on uh, contact lenses. So initially I worked there. However, I worked there through a temporary agency. So I, my friend was a nurse and I kind of was like, you know, nursing is a great field, mainly, like I said, the job security. Money was decent. Um, money is great now to be a nurse. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, the money was good. It was secure. So I was like, why not? So I just went, uh, they and uh, Jacksonville University offered an accelerated program. It was like 16 months, get your degree. If you already have a degree, and I already had like the prerequisites, from my biology degree, so I just went on ahead and applied, got in, got my degree in, I think, what, 16, 17 months, and oh I've been gosh. a nurse for 13 years, um, which led me into uh, becoming a nurse anesthetist. 
um, what's unique about me and how I became a nurse anesthetist was most people in my field, they know they want to be a nurse anesthetist before they even become a nurse. With me, that wasn't the case. I just, I was a nurse for 13 years and one of my coworkers just happened to be applying for school and I was like, well, you, you know, I just was nosy, like, what are you applying for? She's like, nurse anesthetist school. At that, at that time, didn't really know what a nurse anesthetist was. Um, but the competitive nature of me said, well, if you apply it, I, you can do it, I can do it. Honestly, I'm just, I'm so competitive that if I see somebody doing something that, that I think I can do or I can do better or is challenging, I go for it. So really, I just went for it, applied. Um, I had, at the time, had um, enough, I felt like my resume, made was strong enough to get into a program because being a nurse anesthetist it's like the cream of the crop of nursing uh, it's very difficult to get in school in this, into a program um, the chat of the program is very challenging I mean it's literally the best of the best so I was like that's all you need to tell me best of the best of anything I you know I'm gonna go for I want to go for it so I'm right at that time I had certifications in cardiac medicine I had already they had certifications in uh, cardiac surgery, and I had certification in critical care nursing. So I was like, I felt like my resume was good. I had 13 years of nursing experience. Um, Ten of those had applied and got in, um, which was surprising to me. I wasn't. I didn't think I would get in, but I thought I should get in. But you never know. You just, you know. You hope people see your. Well, you definitely had. I had. We, I had, had so much experience. Uh, yeah, but not everybody can recognize greatness. <laughs> well, they, they can't. That I means some people. Are, I don't know. You know. So um, I applied, got in, um, went through the program. Very strenuous program. Very stressful. Very difficult. And. Here I am, I guess. Uh, but the the, the uh, title of this well, the podcast is what? Failure Friday? Yeah. Is that what it's the? So it's called Failure Friday. That part, the part that the failure part was, I had applied for for nurse practitioner school at least four times and was denied all four times. And why was so, that? You think? I don't know because I applied to JU. Mm-hmm. which is the school I got my degree in biology. It's the school I got my ner- my initial uh, bachelor's of nursing degree. So I was like, oh, for sure, I'll, I'll get in to their nurse practitioner program. Didn't get in the first time, you know, thought, okay, well, maybe I don't have the experience. How, how long were you in the industry at this point? Is this when you're just starting out? When I, I had applied like four times. But the first time you applied and got and got rejected, how long is what was your resume at that point? I was, I don't think I had all the certifications, but I I had probably at least had five years experience in the ICU. Oh, wow. I felt like I I had an adequate enough of experience to get into the program. Like I can I didn't I still to this day don't understand why 
I didn't get it, but I'm very grateful for it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sometimes those, those things that don't work out are the best for you because I ended up in a much better place. And what was the better, where, what was, bleh, where was the better program that you went to? The better, better program? Well, initially I was rejected at uh, JU four times, at least four times. I lost track. I might have been rejected more than four times. I don't know why I kept applying. Because you don't want to accept defeat. That's who you are. <laughs> right. I guess I, and I just, I don't know if I was in denial or, I don't know why I, I don't know. I wouldn't have applied four times for nurse anesthetist school. It was like one time, if I don't get in, I'm done. Uh, it just wasn't meant to be. But what were you asking? Oh, so I went to uh, nurse anesthetist school at University of North Florida. Okay. So, that is interesting. Uh, they don't give you a reason? They, if you request a reason, will they give you a reason? I think I, I think I asked for a reason and never even got a reply. And mind you, hmm. this is a school I've been to for two degrees already. <laughs> so it was, I'm still kind of, but heard about it. I'm still not mad about hurt, it. But, uh, <laughs> I, no, I'm definitely not hurt. I feel like I, I went on to bigger and better things, honestly. I mean, because the nurse, the nurse practitioner, that that getting that degree comes a dime a dozen. I mean, it, there's nothing really behind it. I mean, to be a nurse anesthetist, it's a, it's a big deal in the, especially in the nursing community. I don't know how much the, the general public knows about the nurse practitioner role, which most people should know because nurse, pra nurse anesthetists provide a 95% of the anesthesia in the United States period. If you go to surgery, more than likely a nurse anesthetist is putting you to sleep or your family member to sleep or friend or whoever. So I don't know how much the general public knows about the profession, but I mean, it's a pretty big deal being a nurse. What's the difference between a nurse anesthetist and then a anesthesiologist? Um, there, we do the same exact job. Um, the nurse, um, in certain hospitals, the, in certain hospitals require a anesthesiologist to supervise the nurse anesthetist. However, um, in other, and not in all hospitals, but, um, rural hospitals, like, um, I don't know, what's the real place? I don't know. Uh, Baldwin, I don't know, outside mm -hmm. of Gainesville. Um, those smaller um, healthcare facilities do not require a supervision from an anesthesiologist. Um, but bigger hospitals, they require supervision. And it doesn't even have to be from an anesthesiologist. It has to be from a medical doctor. But anesthesiologists are essentially trained doctors to provide anesthesia. Um, they're required in most large institutions, however, rural institutions. It's the nurse prep. It's the nurse anesthetist. Um, That's interesting. Know. I never knew I mean, that. But um, the the anesthesiologists, of course, they have a. They're doctors. They're medical doctors. We are not. We're nurses who are trained to provide anesthesia. Uh, we don't go to medical school. We go to nurse anesthetist school. Uh, so, well, I was mean, there any, a difference, I guess. Well, yeah, but it still seems that even 
for the bottom line of the hospital, I'm sure the hospital has to pay the anesthesiologist more. They would just prefer, you would think, to use an earth's anesthetist, right? Yeah, it's cheaper for the hospital system as a whole to use an anesthetist. That's why in hospitals, there's one anesthesiologist to four nurse anesthetists. So uh, for, you don't have to, uh, one nurse anesthetist don't get paid as much as an anesthesiologist. So you only, in to, to have one to four, the hospital's saving money by not having to have four anesthesiologists. You can have one anesthesiologist, four nurse anesthetists. That's five people doing the same job and you're paying one person like the premium pay or the doctor pay and you're playing the other four uh not not as a fraction of that so with that being it, said audience she still get, makes amazing money yeah it's an amazing profession i i i um looked into it before we had this call and it's actually not very common for nurses to like you said it's the cream of the crop a lot a lot of them don't make it to where you're at because apparently the education is grueling yeah it's a a grueling program it's quite stressful um people don't make it through the program Uh, even going through the program i uh, it's just you you gotta have tough skin even in the profession you gotta have tough skin It's, it's a tough profession it's stressful I I don't think we get paid enough, honestly, for what we do. I mean, we literally have your life. Yeah, we have them. I mean, we have people's lives in our hands. I mean. Yeah, and she she works for the audience five days a week, eight to 10 hours a day. Whereas when, before she got this, she was working, and correct me if I'm wrong, Aisha, it was like 12 hour days, three days a week, and then she had like two days to have a life. And it's like, yes, she's getting paid more, but she has sacrificed personal time substantially. So this is the cream of the crop for the reason, for the pay, but it's also a huge adjustment. And I have a lot of nurse friends, and they do the same thing, where they'll work the 12 hour shifts and then they enjoy their two days off. But that's not even an option for you anymore, is it? What? No, it's not, and it, yeah enjoy two to four days off i mean the way if you bunch them you know depending on when you schedule your days to work i mean you have four days off and i mean that's a lot of days off but it to me it's something to get used to, to me i'm still not used to it to me i'm still finding that i'm trying to find a way to get get back to the three days a week i don't like to be at work five days a week you're not used to it for years you've been doing it the other way it's gonna take it's the adjustment so I want you to tell me one major other than you not getting rejected by JU which was a blessing in disguise of course um, what is another major professional or personal failure and describe your reaction to it major professional She's just oh. a winner, so guys. She has no, none. I'm not. I'm definitely not. <laughs> I've had. To, I, I can't. I can't even. It's so many, honestly. <laughs> uh, let's see here. In college, uh, at, you know, being a track athlete, I you know graduated from high school, one state, got a track scholarship to JU, which is a you know, it's an okay track. It's an okay track school. It's not great, but it was it was they 
were offering me money. I was like, okay. So I came down to Jacksonville from Indianapolis a long, long time ago. And um, I lost my scholarship because I wasn't performing. Oh, I was not performing up to the uh, I guess standards of the coach. So uh, I lost my Ac- track Academically? Actually, I got it back. Huh? Um, academically or for the team no 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 from not performing um in my sport oh uh, wow they can do that I don't, yeah my coach i wasn't performing to the uh, to the what he thought i should be performing and he took my scholarship but i earned it back so how I mean, there's been plenty of failures uh, uh be more consistent with uh i still ran um, I had to be more consistent. I improved my time. I, I guess he changed his mind. I, I'm really not sure what happened, but that was definitely a a a, a failure, a, a disappointment. So, how long between you losing your scholarship and you earning it back? What was the time frame? Then? It was a year. I believe. Oh, wow. It was a year. Yeah. Uh, so that that's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. it's not cool, but like that's pretty. That, that's quite the bounce back. I don't know how often people will lose a scholarship and get it back. Right. Um, people with a like, drive. People who <laughs> I knew I wasn't performing to the up to my ability, and uh, so I decided. So I just really worked hard. I'm one thing about me. If you challenge me. More than likely, I'm gonna try to step it up. I'm at least do the best I can. So. so that that's actually really cool. So your reaction to it was not one of disappointment. You didn't go home and, you know, get or maybe you did only for a brief second get emotional, but it motivated you. Oh yeah, yeah. Failure motivates. I think failure is my number one motivator. There's no other motivator like failure. Same here. Especially, yeah. There's. And it's because, it's as you know, this failure for some people brings them down and they don't get back up. For some people, it's definitely a downer. And then people like me, it's and you, it's more of a, all right, I failed. Now I that whoever notices my failure, now I have to prove them that I that I can come back from this. It becomes incredibly motivating. Um, were you not living up to your performance on the track? Is that the right word? Track field? Track. Uh, because of academics? Well, I wasn't living up to my performance. No, just because I just wasn't. I, I think um, one thing um, coming from Indianapolis, adjusting to running in the heat oh, yeah. was huge for me. Yeah, I, um, I think that was the main thing. It was just like, it took me maybe, I mean, it took a while to get acclimated to the heat, just being. And uh, just being, not being a head case, it was a lot of mental, um, mental challenges. Cause you, you could easily psych yourself out of things and you get discouraged and it really kind of hinders your performance. When you, yeah, when I it think really that's gets brains. something in your head that, yeah. yeah. I think that's our brain's natural reaction, though, right? To protect us Mm -hmm. from failure. 
right like right like maybe you should quit yeah maybe maybe this, this just isn't your thing Aisha <laughs> right but but and you have to fight that so especially in running I'm, I'm not a big runner um but I know a lot of people that are and they always say that they always tell me that running is the best way to become successful because when you run, at some point for every single person, there's a little voice inside of you that's telling you to stop and you have to defeat that little person. And I've never gotten to the point where I have defeated that little person when I'm running, but apparently it's, and like after, on the other side of that little voice is something called a runner's high. Is that right? I agree. Yeah, runner's high. Cause she still runs, guys. Like, she still runs a lot. Like, well, we're going to put up her uh, Instagram and social media at the end of this. And, I mean, what's you're still consistently, how often are you running in races? Um, I try to run in a race once a month. And typically, how far are they? Uh, from a 5K to a half marathon. I have not yet ran a full marathon. I plan on doing that within the next year. That's my goal. Oh, that's going to be intense. Where, where's your goal? Like, where do you want to go run it at? Um, where, uh, like, uh, pace wise or? No, like the place, like every, yeah, location. Like, do you want to travel to, there's like huge running things everywhere. Well, I think I like Florida during the winter. It's very nice running weather during the winter. So um, the, they have a, the Donna ha, a full marathon. That's a, they raise money for breast cancer. And there's also the Ameris full marathon. And those courses are very flat. So mm-hmm. those are ideal courses. And my ultimate goal is to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So <gasps> then you have to make, you have to hit a qualifying time. To, oh, you to, do? Uh, that race. So, yeah, you have to qualify. Yeah. I didn't know that. How do you qualify? Like, what's the time to qualify? Well, the time varies for uh, the different age groups. For my age group, um, it's eight, I think, 840 per mile for 26.2 miles. So, Holy Toledo. Three hours and I forgot, 45 minutes. I don't know. Um, but three plus hours is almost four hours. So that's how long. How long is it going to take you to train for that? Uh, I feel like I feel like I've been training all my life, but you do have to train. (laughs) I've been training Um, my whole life for this, (laughs) but, um, you do have to get in some longer runs, which I don't do like most people train most people run at least like 20 mile runs I have not gotten nearly that far so I'm not am I ready to run a marathon now no but you definitely have to I would say it takes a couple months to train for a marathon oh that's not bad at all I thought it was going to be six months at least well it depends on like me somebody like me who's who's been running who stays running it's going to take a little less time than someone who just off the streets who's who's not a runner there they might take a year i mean me she's talking about me guys me (laughs) (laughs) no i mean you know oh no i mean it's that it's not one of my goals honestly but i am just amazed 
at how far people can push their bodies. Like it just, it truly is amazing to me. And another point I wanted to say um, that I just heard recently from one of my mom's good friends who's an executive at POTS, those little white things you put stuff in storage. And she played basketball and she told my mom that um, companies, because she's definitely in a male dominated position at POTS. She said that companies, when they're hiring a woman, their best bet at achieving success with that pick is if they played sports in college, because that means that they are incredibly uh, competitive and they're loyal to their craft. So I also would wonder how much of that drive that stemmed from you being an athlete incorporated into your career. Because you said you're still very competitive. Probably all of that drive. I mean, I think it's, I, I, I don't separate from life. To me, it's all, the, it's one. It, I mean, I feel like they're, they're synonymous like to me they're so similar your, your career and running yeah because uh, you you get tired you encounter disappointment oh my um uh, i look like my battery's getting low hold on let me go grab my charger. i can hear you perfectly so then let's transition to the to the next one what could someone early on in their journey and i want you to give me two answers one for running and then one for your career what could someone earlier on in their journey, but on the same path, learn from your experiences with failure and disappointment? Um, I mean, I, I hate to say the obvious one, but you know, don't give up. Because um, you will encounter disappointment. And so both. Keep going. Um, where there's a will, there's a way. And I also believe that. What about the academic parks part? Were, were there any tips and tricks? Any tips and tricks that you had to get you through those? Because I remember when you were in school, and there you were definitely stressed out. <laughs> right, right. Oh, I was definitely stressed out. Um, Academic-wise, um, I'm kind of a... Everyone learns differently. And I, I guess the best thing is to kind of learn how you learn. Learn... Uh, kind of figure out what works best for you because what works for me may not work for you. Like me, I'm, I like to read. Like most people say they're visual learners. Like me, I like to, I, I like to read something over and over again. Then I'll get it. Like, but most, some people don't like to read. Like, so some people need to see it, which I like to see it too, but reading to me helps me understand it the best way the best to, to the best of my ability um so I'm i the think same the exact best, way yeah so um finding what what works best for you because everyone's unique and just, no one has a bet no one's way is better and i noticed i since i like to read i always learned a little slower because reading I, takes time i i never felt like i was the quickest one i don't know if it's my old being in school at my old age, age or what, but um, I wasn't always the quickest to pick up on things. Like it, it took me a while, and I used to go home and read it, read it over again, and then finally, it's finally like, oh, that's, that's 
finally makes sense. Like, so. That was definitely me in college. And I learned that that is actually a really great way to create long-term pathways in your brain. So for me to learn, like I would go to class in college and it didn't matter what we talked about in class because I wasn't absorbing it. I have to go and read the chapter myself probably twice. Then I have to take notes on that chapter and then I have to go and highlight my notes. And it took, takes me forever, but I always retained, like there's, I still can recall so much information from college because that's how I studied. I think, and don't take this the wrong way audience, I think a lot of people study lazy now. And it's almost why I think that maybe going to college right out of high school isn't the best choice for everyone because I think being older and wiser and more self-aware with how you retain information is crucial, crucial. Like if I could do it over, I would have got my licenses right out of high school, given it a year, it would take me a year to get my licensing and then gone to college because now I have an idea of what I want to do. I know the foundational information and I know how I study because I already had to study for two massive licensing exams. I think, I, I really think college kids today need to spend time, even your Enneagram number, like finding out how you operate and then applying that to how, to studying, to your career, to whatever the hell you're doing. Find, be learning about yourself before you learn about something else. I, yeah. So for someone who's just starting out running and their goal is to, to run a 5K or a 10K, how would you recommend they start? Other than just start. Like what are some, like an app that they could download or trick breathing tricks? I remember you telling me that you don't run with music. No, I don't. Um, Why is that? One, headphones are too cumbersome. I, I don't like things hanging off me, things that could fall off, things that could slow me down. I just, um, I used to, but not even, not often. And being a competitive runner, you'll notice the, the more competitive runners don't run with music. They just don't. It's like an, almost an amateur thing to do. What do you listen like, to? What do you think about? You don't see. You think about life. You think about how grateful you are to be out there running. I mean, honestly. Really? Uh, yeah. That's like kind of poetic. It's almost. It's, yeah. That's, I think running really helps me. That's when I really am mindful of everything that I'm grateful for when I run. Just, huh. just to have the health to be able to run. And I've always, you, I've never taken that for granted. Would you recommend someone just starting out to not use headphones? No, I would recommend whatever keeps you going, you do that. I mean, cause I mean, there's some good runners who run in headphones. I would, I would do whatever keeps you going, do that. Whatever gets that blood flowing, whatever, whatever works. How important, yeah. But I think there's some things that should work for everyone, like form, like how long, well, you you, you had form in college. How, how important is form for long distance running? Uh, very important, but everyone has a different running style. You're not gonna run how I run. Um, I think it's uh, optimizing your form is key. Um, you know, I, when, and when I say that, it's, uh, we're talking like your cadence you know how how quickly you hit the pavement um 
things like that. Uh, your arm, your arms, you know, pumping your arms, your positioning of your arms when you're running to get the optimal power from your arms. Just optimizing what you have. Uh, and I'm not a running gait expert, and you know, but I think, think there's optimal um, there's an optimal form for you, depending on you know how you naturally run, how you naturally walk, how you naturally move. How often do you run during the week? During the week, uh, four days a week. Okay. Wow, that's, and it's that's quite so challenging. It's it's not easy trying to run, and with these days getting shorter, it's very difficult to. I mean, it's five. It's dark at five o'clock. I get off at five o'clock on certain days, and so it's very difficult to uh, run with these hours with this uh, time change. Do you ever run in the morning? It's dark already. I do, um, but I work. I mean, I have to get up as early as four o'clock some days, depending on what time the, uh, the surgery starts, the case starts. So I just get it. I get it in when I can. Sometimes I'll bring my uh, work clothes or my uh, running clothes to work and run literally at work. I'll like um, I'll change in the car and run. You know, at, I'll find a course near my job because I don't have because you don't have the daylight. So you don't right. even have time to like drive home. So I'll run at my job. Like imagine you get bring bring your gym clothes and then going to run after work. And it's difficult because I'm working 10 hours a day on my feet. And then I'm gonna, I'm trying to get out there and run. Right? Oh, I bet. I, I personally, as I've gotten older, realize that I can't work out in the evening. It has to be in the morning. It has, if I don't work out in the morning, it's, I, I'm just not, I don't perform as well at night. It's like my brain's already fatigued. Agreed. I don't run as, I don't run nearly, it's almost a minute to two minute difference per mile with what I can do in the more fresh in the morning versus after working all day. I mean, it's no comparison. Oh, wow. So in the morning, you're significantly faster. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm a different person after work terrible i mean for instance um in the morning like i can run four miles eight minute pace that's a decent pace it's, you know, mm -hmm. it's not great but it's it's decent afterwards I, i'm struggling to run nine and a half minute pace that's a minute minute and a half difference it's a big difference you're tired you don't it, you just want to get it over with in the morning you're fresh it's just it's a, it's a significant difference do you feel like your performance at work suffers when you don't get your runs in, your four days a week runs in? Uh, like how much control does your running have over your, your psyche, your, your mental presence in your career? I think my, I would, I would say the other way around, my work has more of a influence on my running. For instance, if I have, if, if I'm really stressed out from work, it really affects my running. It really does. It, or, or if I just really had a busy day, it, it really 
really affects my running now. I, I, I guess I've never went without running, so I don't really know how it affects me to not run because I just have not. You've never running. taken a, a significant amount of time off running, ever? Uh, I did. I think I took about a, almost a month off just recently because uh, of my foot. Mm -hmm. uh, I injured my foot, but never. No, I probably I've ran my whole, pretty much my whole entire life. So I've, I mean, I think to not run, be able to run would probably be devastating for me. And I, that's why I'm so grateful for every day. You know, getting older. I'm definitely more injury prone. Like the things I used to be able to do, I just can't even do anymore. I really have to kind of cut back on my miles. Another thing for someone that's starting out running, gradual. Do not, not try to gradual. Like, you know, for instance, try running a mile, you know, for a couple weeks, then add another mile. Every, do everything gradual. That, that helps you avoid injury. Do you think four days a week is a substantial amount of time to start building that endurance? Or should someone just starting out do five or six? I think, I think four days a week is a good uh, a good starting point. Um, when I was like competitive, like in college, of course we ran like you know, six six days a week. I mean, you have to have at least one rest day. But the older I get, every other day is great for me. So that gets me to about four days a week, and. I feel like I, I've maintained my fitness pretty you well. You definitely have, believe me. Well, you I, and I your sister old. are ridiculously, like, just, you look like you're 20 years old and it's annoying. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not as fast as I used to be. I, I'm not. Like, you definitely, when you get older, you definitely, you definitely are, you don't have the capabilities you used to have. I hate to admit it. But it doesn't feel like you're slowing down though from an outsider looking in, but. Right. Okay, so then that was your running advice, but as far as nursing, what do you recommend for someone who's just now getting into, hey, I graduated high school, or hey, I just got my um, bachelor's degree. What, what piece of useful information that they can use to apply to their situation can you give? Um, like I said, don't give up. You will be rejected. It's, it's, uh, everybody wants to be a nurse. Everybody does. Schools are, I mean, you have, you know, four or 500 applicants for 30, for instance, for a nursing institute school. Uh, we have 30 spots. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. We have up to 400 applicants from all around the country. Um, nursing is just as competitive now. I mean, People want to get into the nursing field. It's a, it's a good field. Good money nowadays. Um, uh, but like I said, don't don't give up because you will encounter failure. You will encounter rejection. You will yeah, even a, being an African American woman, you will encounter microaggression at times. I mean, oh, there's, sure. There's a lot. There's a lot to deal with. Can you give me an example yeah. of some of those microaggressions? Yeah. Microaggressions? Yeah, yeah can you give me an example of some? Because that's a very real thing that could happen. Um, just being treated differently. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. Because I feel like I dealt with that a lot as a in school. 
especially in nursing at statistics school. Um, what was the ratio in nurse anesthetist school? Uh, um, I think less African American is less than one percent. Oh wow! Uh, nurse anesthetists are African American. I think it's less than one percent. I have to look up, but it's a. Uh, I had the statistics. I can't find them anymore, but. It, it was a lot to deal with. It really was. You, to be black in that in this field, you have to be excellent. And that's what my mom always taught me. To be black, you have to be excellent. Cause they're, they're not looking at... You're not on even playing field. You're not looked at as equal. You look... I mean, and I hate to say this. It is still... It's, no, you don't hate to say it. This is what people need to talk about. Because that's a real thing that people are going to experience that... Are maybe watching this and are like, okay, now I know to expect that because I'm sure, as a as a black woman, woman or a black man in general, you don't just experience that in college; you experience it your whole life. Your whole life, and especially in a in my field, it's male dominated. It's it's I like most fields are male dominated, mm -hmm. Caucasian. Uh, you're I it, me. I feel like I'm always having to prove myself almost on a daily basis and it's it's always in the back of my mind like okay what are these people thinking it it, it it's quite taxing at times because you never really can relax you kind of always you always know you have to be on your a game you know your mistakes are magnified you feel like i mean that's how i feel and I, yeah. and I always used to wonder, I'm like, is this real, what I'm feeling? Is this, or is this? Well, it's real because you're feeling it. Right. Right. I, but is it real? Because I'm, I always tried to. This is a conversation I have a lot with people, both non-black and black. And a lot of them talk about these microaggressions. And I, I have to. I have to explain that as a white person, whether if I do something wrong and it's perceived as wrong, it doesn't matter what my intentions were. It imagines how you felt about them because anything you feel is your reality. That's a correct perception that you have. It might not be the same perception I have. So, and I think, and my business partner goes through the, the same thing. And um, he wears, we have a very casual office. Like it's not super fancy it's it's a functional family a boutique office but he wears a suit every single day and for the first year I was and I, I don't I dress like who I'm gonna be meeting with is going to dress I wear jeans I might wear heels I might not he wears a damn suit every day and I finally was like why do you wear a suit he goes because I'm black and I have to step my game up a little bit higher because I feel like whenever someone comes in to meet with me, they're looking for an excuse not to use me. So it's kind of the same thing. It's real. It doesn't matter it, if it's true. It's, it's how it feels. It, yeah. I know it. it, it it's, a, it's a real thing. So it, I wouldn't call that failure, though, but I would say that that's a constant. It's probably that quite disappointing. You're going to encounter it. Yeah, you're, you're going, going to encounter, to encounter it. it you are going to encounter it. And so then what do you do? What do you do when someone's microaggressively to you? How do you cope with it? How do you react to it? 
I use it as motivation. I mean, to get better, to do better, to improve, to sharpen my game, to stay on my A game. But so then you're hyper aware. To be honest of... with you, that yeah, and being hyper aware, it, honestly, it it's tiresome. It, I mean, you don't want to you don't want to feel like that every single day you go into your job. At some point, you want to enter into a comfort zone. And granted, I'm still very fairly new into my profession, so at some point, maybe I will get into that comfort zone. But right now, I'm kind of at the point where I'm just um, a perfectionist, or I want to be a perfectionist. I, to be honest with you, there's no such thing as perfection, especially in the medical field. You're going to encounter failure. People will die. You will make mistakes. You will make serious mistakes. That's just the bottom mm -hmm. line in, in my yes, field, especially like right now. And that's, yep. Especially right now. So, in what we've talked about a lot of different things, but in what ways has failure positively shaped your behaviors or character, your psychology today? And I would use your career as an example. In what way has microaggressions or you being rejected? How has that changed the way you approach issues today? Um, um, one, it's definitely made me hyper aware uh, of things that I am, things that I need to improve on. Um, it's, it's provided motivation to, to, to be a better provider. I mean, uh, mainly. failure has just just to be a better professional <laughs> do you keep track of what you need to improve on and what are some of those things that you need to improve on do i keep track oh yes i, I definitely keep track um i say main thing is just kind of uh, demonstrating confidence um like I know my job, I know what I'm doing, um, but I'm kind of shy. I really don't like. I really don't like to be seen. I'd rather just kind of do my job. I'm not a social person, especially at work. <laughs> I'm not. I'd rather be visible. I, I want to be the people. One of the people you like. Oh, she works here. Yeah, she does. Yeah, like she walks so around. So just and in my field. <laughs> in my field I just being more um, social kind of bringing more of an aggressive um, me I, I, so you you want to be more social is that what, you're, is that what I'm no I think I need to be I think I need to come across more confident and more Asserted. Let's just say asserted. So, would you say that having a community within your workplace is important, and that's where you can improve on? Having a what? More of a community, more colleagues that you can, you know, vent to, bounce ideas off of. Is that important to you? Because in my career, it definitely is having a community where I can ask questions. People that have been there longer than me, or have been doing this longer than me. To me, that has made me way better at my job. Do you have that? 
or should you have that in your career path? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I agree. But I think the main thing when you say community is, I don't need a lot of people, but I need people I can trust. Cause some of the questions, sometimes you have dumb questions. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't, some questions you can't, you can't bring to just anybody. You want to bring yeah. it, bring it to somebody wise, but somebody who you can trust. Cause you ask somebody a silly question or have a concern that, I don't know, have a That's concern a good point. that, you have to have people you can trust to come. You have, it's like having a mentor. Like you need a men. I agree. You do need a mentor. You do need somebody to bounce off ideas. Like you need. That's that's somebody has to be trustworthy. Because I, I noticed in my profession, people like to talk. People like to put you in a box. People like to. Oh, she's not this enough. Or, oh, she's not that enough. They they like to put you there and keep you there. I think that kind of protects their ego to put you in some type of place where you can't get out of just to protect their ego and I kind of had to um, I kind of discovered that like it's maybe it isn't so much me maybe it's you trying to protect your ego is why you why you know in my profession just people like to label people especially in school you're labeled as I don't know not aggressive enough not assertive enough too slow this, that, those, um, you'll notice, you'll encounter that a lot. Yeah, and I think that a way you could kind of change, it's always gonna be there, right? You can't avoid it not being there. But it's human nature, right, for us to organize and categorize it. We almost need it to make sense uh, because that's how we process experiences. We have to, humans are really bad at saying, I don't know and maybe I'm not supposed to know. We have to find an answer or, or put a label on everything. That's the only way we can move on to the next task. I think a lot of people are like that. I think it takes an intelligent person, an empathet, an empath, to have that first thought, but then have a second thought that's like, I'm probably projecting, or I don't know what's going on in their life, or um, maybe, maybe I'm overthinking this. And that's one thing that I would say that I've gotten better on in the last several years is when someone pisses me off, of course you're gonna have that angry reaction or the insecure reaction and you're gonna think of all the different things you could have said that would have really stuck it to them. But then I've gotten really good at taking a step back and, and, and being like, well, they, maybe they said this because they're insecure about that characteristic of themselves, so they need to project it onto someone else because they're not ready to deal with that within their own life. So I think that, do you or do you have colleagues that you could trust if you just put a little bit more juice into that relationship? Oh yeah, yeah. I have two people, two friends in particular. Uh, I actually uh, graduated with the people who both work where I work so uh, we are always talking to them even though they're at the, they're the same experience level sometimes mm -hmm. they'll um, know things sometimes they'll remember things that I don't remember or have read something that I haven't read or things like that, that to where I can always talk to them and ask them questions yeah I think that's really important 
If people wanted to reach out to you and ask you for advice, either whether it's running or the medical field, how would you prefer that they reach out to you? Um, you can reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook, either one. Perfect. And I will have Weston post that, your Instagram and your Facebook. And um, thank you. Thank you for so thank you so much for joining me and you're the first medical professional that I've had and it's always it's such a booming career right now. I feel like I know so many people trying to get into nursing school or, or who are nurses because they think it's a lot of people I think get into it for the wrong reasons. Uh-huh. But for you to have been in it, you and your sister yeah, to have I been in it for so long. I probably got into reason. it for the wrong reasons too. Money, <laughs> security. Um, do you enjoy it though? Honestly, some days. <laughs> some days. I, I, I'm so I'm so serious that it's, uh, some days. It's a serious feel. So some days I try to enjoy it. Do I, you I think need to work on that. <laughs> yeah. Do you think the trajectory of your job will change much over the next ten to fifteen years, or is it pretty pretty stagnant? Like how often does, so like, for example, my job, the stock market, economics, everything's constantly changing. So my job looks completely different year to year. Does, is your job like that? Or is it pretty much stability all the way through? Like, this is what I'm going to do. And if you wanted to have more upward mobility in your career, what would be the next step? Um, well, I think that, uh, the ultimate goal of the nurse, uh, CRNA and the CRNA profession is to ultimately um, not have to have supervision from a physician. Okay, in, that's any, possible. in any facility, like you, we don't need an, uh, an anesthesiologist to do our job, to supervise our job. I think that's the ultimate um, trajectory of the field. Is that? And just expanding what we're able to do uh, in the hospital, uh, which is most things related to anesthesia, but but uh, mainly um, the supervision, uh, eliminating the supervision. Is, uh, and do you have the capability to do that, or do you think that eventually that might go away? Uh, it's it's something that is, it's political. So it's kind of, I mean, the more um, nurse anesthetists get involved in the politics of things, this is, these are state laws, these are national laws. So the more power we have uh, in legislature, legislation, whatever word is, um, (laughs) um, the, the, the more, we need more power to gain, but yeah, it's it's possible because there are places where physician supervision is not required, and um, the ultimate goal is to not require supervision anywhere. Where nurse yeah. to, where nurse anesthetists can work independently in any facility, um, and, but the uh, medical profession is way too powerful. That I mean, that's what we're up against. I mean. It just seems Probably like it helps me. their bottom line, though. 
it do, it helps the hospital bottom line. It does not help the anesthesiologist. They need their job too. <laughs> but uh, it's for the hospitals and the uh, healthcare provider facilities. Absolutely, it's cheaper. It's just a, but. I mean, personally, I don't mind the supervision of a nurse, of an anesthesiologist. I feel like it's it's a good thing for patient safety, and that's the ultimate goal. Patient right. Safety. So, I mean, it's just another another person who is qualified to do your job, um, who has a high, you know a higher level of education. So, I, I see no problem with the. Uh, Anesthesiologist. I feel like there's enough room for both, but the ultimate goal of the nurse anesthetist is to not be supervised. Do you think they'll ever go back to medical school and and become an anesthesiologist? No. (laughs) I'm 43 years old. What do I look like? I'm trying trying to get out, travel, and enjoy the fruits of my labor. I'm not trying to go back to school ever again. I will she, do. I, she has I'm, PTSD, guys. Yeah, yeah I'm. <laughs> school. I mean, I will do what it takes to maintain my, you know, professional certifications and, you know, that, you know, lifelong learning. But going back to school, never. I think that's fine. I think um, I've I've watched your journey. I watched I watched you walk across the stage, and I'm. I'm personally very proud of you. Proud of where you're at. Now it's just Astra's turn. <laughs> oh, she's, she's enjoying her. She's she's living her best life, not being a student. I don't think she. I don't think she wants to go back to school. And I don't even recommend it, honestly. There's yeah, it took a, it took a, a lot. lot of money. There's no reason for her to go back to school. I'm not, I'm not. For what? For what? I mean. Yeah, you're like not. Maybe it's my PTSD. You're right. Yeah, that was rough for you. I I will definitely. There was a few times I saw you when you were in school, and you were definitely not the Aisha that you were before school. No, I wasn't. I've never seen you in a bonnet so much in my entire life. (laughs) Right, stressed out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you for joining me. Thank you for opening up a, a portal into your personal life and your professional life. And uh, audience, I'm going to put up her contact information. She's a wealth of information. She will answer when she has time any question that you have, whether it's about running or whether it's about nursing. She's got you. Um, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Failure Friday. And I hope you guys all have a blessed week. Bye.